Amen. I, I wish I could have been there. I, I try to imagine this. I mean, I would have loved to experience that miracle when God's people had been in slavery so long and with God's right hand, uh, he, he brought them through the Red Sea. The winds blew, uh, the, the sea opened, uh, God's people went across, and afterwards when the enemy came, God swallowed them up. And then, after all the terror that they had had being afraid of the armies, suddenly they were on the other side. I almost imagine Moses, the leader, thought, now what? But I'm telling you, whenever you experience a great triumph, there really is a gift that God has given us. And there's really only one thing that seems to really fit what we have to do at those moments. I'm looking at John. You know what it is. We've got, we've got to sing. Uh, I, that's what I would have liked to have been there. I'd, I'd like to figure out how Moses got all those people of different ages, different tastes, and so forth, singing together. And I'm telling you, Ruby, I'd like to have heard you sing him with him. I, I just, I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been there. It's one of the great gifts God gives us. Um, I, I, I try to envision it. Moses was in his 80s when he led them in singing. And so he said, let's, let's sing this song to the Lord. It's called the Song of Moses. Um, but he's in his 80s. Now, we have a lot of people in your 80s here, and, and this isn't negative, but it might be that Moses sang uh, in a different way from those who were 15. Yeah. Is it possible? And I almost imagine maybe it was going a little slower than some thought it should go. So eventually Miriam grabbed a tambourine and said, this thing has to be revved up a notch. She grabbed it and some of the other women grabbed her. I wanted to reenact it this morning. I wanted to get Lily Boss, you know, she's my favorite tambourine player, to come and see if any of the other women in the church would grab it, walking up and down and saying, we've got to sing to the Lord. I can almost imagine that if we're in our day, that perhaps if that happened in church, some would say, well, uh, tambourines, I don't, maybe a harp. Let's play a nice harp and be still before the Lord. And I could see that this could lead to some difficulty, but it didn't. Because I'm telling you, when they cast their eyes upon the one who had rescued them and they knew that God alone had done it, they were going to get their voices together somehow and sing a song of praise to God. And that brings us to our message today. Exodus chapter 15. I I want you to open your Bible to that particular text. It's the first song recorded in the entire Bible. And it's a song sung as it so often our singing happens when we experience a great great rescue and brothers and sisters they were just about to go through a wilderness last week when we gathered i talked about some of the lessons and things god gives us so that we can walk together through desert times but i'm telling you one of the greatest gifts that god gives us is he gives us one another but we've got to come and be together with one another and when we come together we have to forget ourselves And cast our eyes upon the one who loves us with an everlasting love. And has sent his one and only son to rescue us. And one thing we have to do when we do that is we have to sing. We call it worship. So I thought I should just start by again reminding you of of some of the things I've said before about worship. Uh, The word worship uh, comes from an old English term. It means worthship. Something worthy of shaping the entirety of our lives. The words in the Bible usually translated worship 
have to do with someone who bows down before someone and surrenders everything to someone else. And it's the consistent teaching of the Bible that there's only one person in all the universe worthy of that kind of worship, and that is God himself. So there's so many great songs of worship to God found in the scriptures. One of them is in Psalm 29, written by David at a time of rescue. He said, let's take it together. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to whom? To the Lord. Glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Let us worship the Lord in the splendor of His beauty and holiness. So when we thought about that, that one of the gifts that God gives us so that you and I can walk through this challenging world is to come together and worship God. I I put together this definition of worship. I've shown it to you many times, but I want to show it to you one more time, especially for those who are new. When we think about worship, this is what we think about here at Lake, that worship is the proper response of the whole of our lives to the triune God, the only one worthy of worship. I'll stop there. By that, do you see that we don't just worship when we come here? It's the response of the whole of our lives. Brothers and sisters, when you go to work and there is someone beside you who's just so irritating and yet has done something good, and you don't want to go over and talk to her, but you sense that God would have you to go over and give her a word of encouragement, and you go over and do it not because you feel like it, but simply because you think it would please the Lord. That's an act of worship. When we act or respond because we simply want to obey the Lord, it is an act of worship. So when we worship, what we do is we ascribe all honor, praise, and worth to God because He is worthy. True worship results in God then being at the center of what? Our adoration, but also of our action. Both, both in our personal lives, but also in our corporate gatherings. And today what I want us to think about is that adoration piece in our corporate gatherings, that together we come to worship Him. Because I am so convinced that one of the great gifts that God has given us is the opportunity to gather together with other people who have been rescued and offer our worship and praise together to God. Now, this text that Ruby read, she read part of it in, in chapter 15, is a song, it's the first song. Did you know that some scholars look at this and say, somebody probably just slapped it in there, it doesn't really fit. So probably the scroll that carried this, second book of Moses, was dropped, and somebody put a song in there. Um, because if you take it out, the story hasn't changed very much. And I say, you haven't lived life very much, you scholars. You just know that whenever great things happen, you've got to sing. And it happens just as they experience a great victory, but just before they're going to go through some pretty dry times. And I'll tell you, in that I see this great, great lesson, and and the way that I put it is this. The message that I want to communicate today is that a vital part of our journeying, of our living life, until God finishes His work, until we see Him face to face, a vital part is worshiping together. And then specifically what I want to talk about is that singing has always been a central part of God's people coming together to worship our Father. So that they sang here after this great rescue. Read through the rest of the Bible and again and again and again 
in good times and in bad, God's people would come together and a part of what they would do is sing. And when we get to the end, the book of Revelation, one of the most difficult books in all of history to understand, right? But one part of it is not hard to understand. When God finishes his work in that renewed heaven and earth where all things are right, one thing is going to be there. There's going to be singing. Everywhere that John looks around him, he he hears singing. The angels around the throne, they sing praise to God. The 24 elders cast their crowns before God and they sing. People from every tribe and language and nation rescued by the Lamb of God, gathered around the throne of God, singing. And one of the parts I really love, and especially for this sermon, is Revelation chapter 15. When John looks at them, what he sees is God's people gathered and drawing upon the book of Exodus, not by the Red Sea, but by the Crystal Sea, with God having been triumphant, not over Pharaoh this time, but over the Antichrist. And what do we find them singing? I love it. He says they had to sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And uh, you just got to see. Until he finishes his work, we need to come together sometimes and sing. And uh, when we get to heaven and we see our Father who loves us so much, we're going to keep singing to him. So the people of every age gather together when they've come to meet God and experienced his salvation, they sing. And verse 2 of the song tells us why. I have experienced the salvation, my salvation. That's the kernel of it. So when we've actually experienced the love of God and the rescue of God, we we have to sing. Now, I don't want to be naive about it. It's always been hard for God's people to come together and sing together. Anybody agree with me? And it's not just now. It has always been, and it's not just here. As I travel all over the world, it's the same issue. And we start thinking, well, maybe we don't have to really sing together. Maybe we can divide ourselves up. But let me just tell you something. When we actually come together and we find those who are older making some accommodations to sing with those who are younger... When we come into a gathering where God is at the center and he is worthy of our praise and it's not about us. And we have somebody who loves Nashville sound, maybe from the hills of West Virginia, singing alongside of somebody from the L.A. opera. When we come together and we have people of awfully pale hue singing alongside of somebody with a much more vibrant hue. When we actually do that. When we actually do that, I'll tell you, we love it. We get out of ourselves. We sing praise to him, but how on earth do we do it? And I think that this song that is sung on the other side of the Red Sea helps teach us a few things. So here, I'm going to give you a few lessons. May God use them. I've been praying that God would use them in my heart and in all of our hearts as we gather here today so that you and I actually will show to this world that those who have been rescued by God in such an amazing way can come together and offer our praise with one another to the one who alone is worthy of our worship. So how are we going to do it? Lesson number one. seems to me that what we learn from this song is, is partly this, that the main purpose of music in our worship is to express 
an experience of God. Not to generate one. I'm looking to see if anybody's got this. I knew this was a kind of a convoluted sentence, but you've got to think about this. That we come here primarily to express our gratitude to the one who's rescued us, not to come in and try to generate something that we otherwise never experience. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Look what he's done. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. It is the Lord who is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Uh, Before I became pastor here at Lake, you know, I was uh, head of a university and I traveled. I think in my 12 years there, I spoke or sang in about 400 different churches in America. And one of the things that troubled me about the singing was sometimes this. It seems to me that sometimes we think that maybe church is the place where we come together and try to whip up something, some spiritual feeling that we otherwise never have. So all week, our lives have been focused on ourselves. We haven't been meeting with God. We haven't been just thankful for the privilege of knowing Him as Father. And so we come into church, and and we hope that we can just do something to try to, to generate something that we never otherwise experience. And so what happens is, it's so quick for us to turn what should be our worship of the God who's rescued us, into the question of, did I feel like I worshiped today? Now, when we start thinking that, you see that the attention has been turned to self. Do you see that? And it becomes no longer the worship of God to say, I've got to find a way to thank you, God. It becomes all about me. It is self-worship. So it it seems to me that one of the things that happens, we see here, when we have truly experienced God's salvation, we've got to express it somehow. So the main purpose, not the only one, the main purpose of singing of God's people is that you and I have been rescued. We don't deserve it. And we look at other people who don't deserve it. and, And throughout the week, it's been hard to live for God. We've been walking with him we've been giving things to him but other people around us don't love him and then we come into the church and we're there together with other people who've been rescued by god and it is so so enjoyable it is so uh exciting to be able to get our voices together and just say thank you lord i praise you lord now listen to me carefully here i have to give you another side of this issue sometimes we come into church and i know we just feel drained We've, we've walked with God, but this week has been hard, and for some reason God seems to be far away. It's been a very hard week, and perhaps we failed. Morally, we failed. Anybody else come into church sometimes feeling like that? And, and you come for whatever reason. Out of habit, desperation, forced. Maybe you had to give the sermon that day. <laughs> but you're here. You don't feel like singing. Um... I'll just tell you what happened one time for me. I was sitting down here. It's been a hard week. Um, all of you began singing. I don't know if I was singing or mumbling at the time. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray.
I woke this dungeon flamed with light. I started feeling like singing. Uh, My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you're a gift to me. I was singing praise to God. I remembered his salvation. And afterwards, I found out that Zach Johnson, who's a lot younger than I am, also really a wonderful musician, the same thing had happened to him that day as we were singing and the organ was playing. And and Zach, who probably likes different kind of music from what I usually like to listen to, was singing at the top of his lungs, even if he had to sing that word, schutzt. And then, of course, you know, Jeremy plays the guitar. Carus starts beating on all the stuff he beats on up here. And we start singing with a mighty hand and an outreached arm. His love endures forever. It's by the grace of God we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever you are with us, forever and ever, forever and ever, forever you're with us, forever. And some of you are saying, is he going to sing this forever? (laughs) And others are saying, please, let's sing this forever, but somehow we work it out. I'm telling you, but that experience of where we come in feeling dry and remember who God is and what he's done is very different from us walking in and then going out and saying, you know, that wasn't as good as it was last week. I didn't feel as much as I did last week. Maybe we should go to another place where I can feel more. What happens then is it becomes about me. And I'll tell you, there's no hope in that. So again, I think we have to see this. But the main reason why God gives us this gift of music is that those of us who just know that we've experienced the grace of God can come and find a way with others to say thank you for what we have experienced. And, And because of that, maybe the best thing for us to do if we want our worship to be richer and and more meaningful is to practice our worship before we come to church. Uh, You know, in the Psalms, they did that. They had ascension songs. Uh, They were singing songs about the grace and power of God before they ever came into church so that when they walked into the place of worship, they were ready to praise God. So perhaps you can take some time in the morning before you come and just remember again what the past week has been like and if you need the grace of God to thank Him for who He is and what He's done and then to come to this place ready to express the love of God that is so deep in your heart.
brings me to the second lesson. I have found that the people most enthusiastic about singing God's praise are those who are most deeply aware of God's grace in your lives. You're just so thankful you've got to sing. Look at the way it's put in verse 2. It is the Lord who is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. Down in verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand shattered the enemy. See, right here we read why they sang in Exodus 15. They were thrilled. They'd been delivered from something that they couldn't do for themselves. They'd seen the enemy coming after them. They wanted to turn away. They saw no hope. God said, go forward. They said, which way is forward? (laughs) Army back here, a Red Sea there, there's no way forward. And God had found a way forward for them. And I'll tell you, when we've experienced the salvation of God, we have to sing. And sometimes I think that we don't sing. It has to become all about us because we really haven't experienced the grace of God. We look at others around us. Well, they really need mercy. John needs mercy, but I don't need mercy. If I, if I know I need it, I failed again. And God says, I give it to you. I'll cast your sins as far as east is from the west. We have something to sing about. And I just feel like in so many churches, sometimes we feel like we have nothing to sing about. It made me think about, some of you remember back in, the, uh, in 1976, when we had all those um, bicentennial celebrations, and especially up in New England, uh, they, everywhere you would go, they would have signs that would say, historical marker, uh, in July 4th, 1776, such and such happened. You, you just saw them everywhere. Finally, a man in New York named Erskine Rendall just got frustrated, tired of it. So he put a sign up in his front yard in New York, and it said, historical marker, a July 4th, 1776, Absolutely nothing happened. (laughs) I'm telling you, that's the way it is sometimes for us when we're to sing. Deep inside of our soul, there is nothing that has happened. See, it's possible to come to church and not be at all excited about what God has done. Not to be at all excited that I have this privilege. I don't deserve to be in God's family. He's holy. I'm not. And yet by His grace, here we are. Amen? But sometimes if we don't feel that, all that we can do is to try to whip up something inside of ourselves when we have no gratitude for what he's done. I'll put my hero in this. I've told you about this before. My hero is my dad. Uh, he either came back to the faith or he came to the faith when he was about 30 years old. After being a professional uh, musician, jazz musician, big band musician for his life, he got married, had two sons, and my mom, who's sort of a combination of Granny on Beverly Hillbillies and Lucille Ball, said, you've got two boys, you're not going to be flitting around the whole country playing your saxophone anymore. So he stayed at home. And uh, during that period of time, he really had an encounter with Jesus that he never forgot, still hasn't forgotten. He sometimes sits down the front row with me. Any time the gospel is preached, any time a song is sung about Jesus, my dad, his face radiates, he glows, he sings praise to God. And you know, a few years ago, the Waybright family experienced such ongoing loss. My mom developed Alzheimer's disease. My dad, who had directed the choir until he was about 88, uh, had to give that up. Then he couldn't, he didn't have the ability to to care for my mom anymore. Chris and I went back to Bluefield, West Virginia, and 
I had to close down the family home. We had to fool my mom because she didn't want to leave. If you know Alzheimer's disease, she did not want to leave the family home. So we had to get her out. Uh, and then my dad lost his home, his, his work, uh, his place of living, so many of their belongings. Went to a senior care center in Bristol, Tennessee. Now, it's hard for you to understand, but for a West Virginian to go to Tennessee, that is a loss for us, just, just in case you wonder. Uh, so there he was in Bristol, Tennessee, near where my sister lives. And uh, then my mom's Alzheimer got so bad that she couldn't stay in the same room with him. She had to go to the memory care center, and a few months later she died. With all of that loss, you know, um, he could have been embittered. But I'm telling you, my dad, who still was thankful for the grace of God, cast his eye upon the Lord, and he looked around at these other old people in the home, and he said, they need to sing more. You know what he did? He started a choir. I told you about this. And since that time, they've had two Christmas cantatas and two Easter cantatas. He told me, he said, their voices are a little frail now again, Greg. And he uses these soundtracks, John, where you have on one side the music and the other side the voice, but sometimes he puts in a little the voice so that it sounds a little better. (laughs) But all I'm telling you is, that's how a follower of Jesus who's experienced the grace of God reacts. We look and see all that we are and have he has given us. We're so thankful for his grace that when the music begins to play that focuses us on him, we have to sing praise to God, to him, because those of us who are most deeply aware of his grace and mercy in our lives always are those who are going to sing. And it doesn't matter how old or new the song is. It doesn't matter whether we sit on our hands or lift them high to the Lord. It doesn't matter what instruments are playing. When a song is sung to God, we want to sing with the others because we're so thankful for his grace. We're so thankful for his grace. Which brings me to the last point. That then this gift that God gives us of one another, this gift of singing to him in the midst of good times and tough, is a family event calling for mutual respect and a willingness to to value the others in the family as greater than ourselves. See, we we begin to realize that the grace shown to me was not just for me, but for all. But for me, but for all. Look, Look at verse 17. In your unfailing love, Lord, you will lead the people. You have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them. See, it's a long journey to your holy dwelling, and the nations will hear, and the nations will tremble when they see your people and what they're doing, you're doing in their lives. See, the Apostle Paul would say, This is a faithful saying, it is worthy of acceptance. The Lord Jesus came into this world to rescue sinners. And then he would say, And I am the worst. He never forgot it. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would say, the love of Christ compels us because I've become aware of this, that one died for all. That Jesus, this one, he died for me, but he died not only for me. He died for all. And so when we come together with some of the other alls, we just want to sing together. We want to sing together with God's people. Uh, we, we live in a world where even the life of the church has said, let's, let's just divide people up and give, so that we can sing the way we want to sing. And I say that's not the church. 
Is that clear to you? The walls that separate people from people in the world, the church, they come down. And we're, we're all, number one, we're united because we need God's mercy. Number two, we're united because we have found God's mercy <laughs> through the blood of Jesus and the defeat of sin through a resurrection. And I think we need to find a way that we can come together and sing together our praise to God. And I'm not the only one. Now, visitors, uh, Lake Avenue Church does not have saints like uh, the Catholic Church does. But if we did, the closest things to saints at the Lake Avenue Church are Ray and Anne Ortland. Just mark it down. The closest things that we have. Back in the 1980s, when this whole movement came, that we can have much bigger churches, we can market to people. If you just, you know, market to people like yourselves, because people like to be with people like themselves. Mark to people like yourselves. The church will grow. Ray and Ann said, no, that is not the church. And in fact, Ann wrote a book about it. It's called Up With Worship. I recommend it highly. Um, and I just see that God put this on their hearts in this church family long before God ever gave me the privilege of being with you. So I've taken out a little bit of our patron saint's book. Let me read some of it to you, what Ann wrote. She said this, first speaking to the pastor. Pastor, in however long a time God gives you with your people, three years, 30 years, I probably am not going to make it 30, just to let you know, you have to get your people from here to there together. It was the pagan deity, Janus, who was two-faced. One face looked forward, the other looked back. But a congregation will become two-faced when the conservatives attend the one consistently, she called it, straight service, while the progressives experiment with the latest in the contemporary. No, no, she said. Put elements of both old and new in whatever your people experience, but then pace your people to go forward, experiencing everything together. Some older ones will grumble. Some younger ones will want to cavort more. Expect both reactions and then help both groups to be considerate of each other's feelings. People will someday know when it's over that they grumbled and endured together. But they saw some of God's glory together too. Uh, together they lost some of the old and together they gained some of the news, new, but they were all a body together. Conservatives and progressives struggling to put it together, together. After all, every car must have both gas and brakes. That's the way it gets from here to there. And then she took up this very passage that we're studying this summer, the book of Exodus. And this is what she wrote. One thing we learn about how God deals with people is that he always does it in togetherness. The children of Israel moved together across the wilderness. That wasn't always easy. The young, vigorous ones probably wanted to go twice the pace. The young mothers with babies and toddlers needed to take it easy. The oldest probably never wanted to move at all. It took a lot of give and take, a lot of consideration for the condition of the other. But when it was over, they got from here to there together. Uh, they grumbled and were punished together. But together, they saw the waters part, the flowers bud, and the fire come out of heaven. They did it all together. 
But brothers and sisters, how are we going to do this? How are we who are so distinct in our tastes, some enjoying one thing, some enjoying another, how are we going to get together week after week after week, as God tells us is my gift to you, and ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name? Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be a work in process. Uh, We're going to have to uh, keep seeking God together and listening to one another. But I am so thankful. I'm so blessed with the people God has brought, and you are too, into leadership here to seek the Lord and to listen to us together. So thankful for Dwayne Thunderburk and and Jeremy Rose and Ken Hilton and John Sutton and John Stuthers who had Saturday night. We are talking together and praying together, seeking the Lord together, wanting to listen to you together so that we can be blessed by this gift that God has given us uh, together. Some of the things that uh, our team gave me, they said, say this, this is what we're thinking we're going to do. We, we think we should have people of all ages leading worship. Uh, a couple of people up here were students. You probably can't figure out which ones, but we think that's an important part. We're all a part of the body. We think we should intentionally celebrate God's grace through music that's written. I call it music of God's people, both deep and wide. You know, there have been other believers who've gone on before any of us, and and their their hearts have been touched by the Spirit of God, and they have written great music and it's been passed on. I want to sing some of that. I want my children and grandchildren to sing that and sing together with their brothers and sisters. I think we're going to sing some of that in heaven. But also there's the church-wide God is giving growth to his church in, in places like China and across the continent of Africa and where the Spirit of God is at work, always music comes and there's some great music around the world. Sometimes we have to sing a new song to the Lord. We want to listen and bring some dead in so we can sing. I, I also am praying that the Spirit of God will touch our hearts. And if that happens, you know that some of us have gifts to write music. And I would love to use some of the music being written here. So if you're writing some, send it to Dwayne or to Jeremy, and we'll see if maybe we can sing some of that. I I think we should intentionally use many musical instruments, Uh, the the organ and and, and bells. And, you know, um, Karush and Ken even use laptop music. Listen to it sometimes. You'll say, what does that sound? Can that play together with an orchestra and with an organ? I don't know about kazoos, but we'll, we'll figure out. I think many instruments, because you know, Uh, All of this is a part of God's creation. And anything in God's creation can be misused and can be used sinfully. But when it's used right, any part of God's creation can be used to give praise to him. He has made it. I I want us to be as united, but also as intergenerational and diverse as the family of God is. Because we just have to remember who we are. We are a family of rescued people coming together to thank our Heavenly Father. And we're going to be singing together forever. We might as well begin now, don't you think? I I think sometimes we're going to be singing a song here that maybe you're a pastor who's getting closer to Moses than I am to being the teenager, you know. And sometimes you're going to say, we've got to rev this thing up a bit. Somebody's going to grab a tambourine or try to get us to sing a little faster. But maybe if you feel like that, you'll, you'll say, oh, but our pastor seems to enjoy that song. I'll join my voice with him and we'll sing together. 
And, and then those of us who are younger might hear a song. We say, well, that's, that's just not the style that I like at all. But look, my sister or brother in Christ singing praise to God. Maybe I can make my mouth go faster than it usually does. <laughs> Maybe I can sing together with my brother and sister. The key, I think the key is that when we come here, it's not about us. We have experienced grace. We know we don't deserve to be in God's family. Amen? God is holy and perfect. Not a one of us is. But he's declared us right in Jesus. And he's making us right through the power of his spirit. And until he's finished, he's given us one another and told us to sing together. How will we do it? Two verses. I've given them to you before. I think we have to listen to these and obey them. So when we come to church, we will do nothing. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value the others above yourselves. Not only looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And then you say, but what does that look like? What, what does that sound like? And Paul goes on. You know that that verse leads into one of the great hymns of the early church. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, in which he would say, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like what Jesus did. So they began singing, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in very nature God, did not consider that equality something he had to hold on to for his own benefit, but he emptied himself, took on the appearance of a man, became a servant, died, even death on a cross. But the God who brings victory out of that kind of defeat said, wherefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name. You can tell, wouldn't you? if you'd been there, I wish I knew what the music was. I could find myself wanting to start singing that name that is above every name so that someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'll tell you, that will sing. So if we listen to that, we learn from God's Word, here's my prayer. There are going to be people who just show up at Lake Avenue Church someday, so saying, what happens in that big building? They're going to look up there and say, that, that fellow who was playing drums and that fellow who played all those different instruments I've seen them playing in a jazz club and they're good but this man sitting next to me can't even carry a tune and that man woman who who play the organ they teach in a university and, and I looked over here we have people who, who sing and and play in, in the LA Philharmonic and then as I walked into your church I saw these teenagers and they had those Things in their ears, and I could hear the music. It was so loud. And I don't even know what you call it. Hop, hip, or whatever that music is. And then we walked in, and there they were all together. And they were singing together. And it wasn't like they had lemons in their mouth. They seemed to be enjoying it. They were singing praise together. There must be a God. And God must be in this place. And I think I must find him. I pray that that happens again and again and again. Until God finishes his work. To his glory. Amen.